An elementary school teacher was given a drawing class to a group of six-year-olds. At the back of the classroom sat a little girl who normally didn't pay much attention in school. But in the drawing class, she did because that was her favorite thing to do. For more than 20 minutes, the girl sat with her arms curled around her paper, totally absorbed in what she was doing. The teacher found this fascinating and eventually asked the little girl, said, what are you drawing? What, what's so intent? Why are you so intense? And what are you drawing? And without looking up, the little girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher, <laughs> surprised, said, well, sweetie, I, nobody really knows what God looks like. And the girl said, well, they will in a minute. So it's it's unbelievable and it's fascinating sometimes to look at a child and a child's faith. Um, you know, my son, Bishop, y'all, if y'all know him, um, in his mind, he can swim. But in daddy's reality, the kid can't swim a lick. He sinks like a rock. But if you ask him, Bishop, can you swim? Yes, I can swim. It's just something about it. It's a childlike faith. He knows that this really isn't that hard, and he's going to pick up on it. But sometimes it's fun to just sit back and, and look at a child's faith and the way they examine life and different things. As Christians, we are instructed to live by faith. But what does that mean? Especially when it comes to the Christian of the 21st, 21st century. What exactly is faith? Believe me when I tell you tonight that people want to know the answer to these questions. If they have a whole lot of faith, does that mean that God will answer all of their prayers? Y'all just bear with me. I'm not going to get any more exciting than this right here, okay? We're going we're gonna to learn something. So we're going we're gonna to try to chew on the word a little bit tonight. Why does their faith go down the tubes when things go bad? Faith is the critical foundational element in the process of spiritual renewal and growth. For that reason, it is imperative that we as Christians understand what faith is and what faith isn't. Unfortunately, confusion over the definition of faith is rampant in the greater Christian community, even in our own organization. Oftentimes, faith is spoken of as if it were some kind of force or power, something we can turn on when we need it, and only if we can find the right switch. But that's a faulty definition of what biblical faith is. Confusion in this one area is the primary reason so many Christians lose out on their walk with God. It's the reason some Christians have such difficulty trusting God with every area of their lives. Like me, you, and many other people know someone who would readily admit that they used to be a Christian, but they no longer practice the faith. They trust in God, but they no longer practice the faith. Some of them don't practice the faith and don't trust in God. 
but they used to go to church, but not anymore. They used to believe, but not anymore. They have lost their faith in not just God and not church, but in humanity. Two factors more than anything else are responsible for the shattering for shattering the faith of saints, in some cases, even ministers. The first is poor choices. When believing Christians veer off course morally, relationally, or ethically, they are immediately confronted with a tidal wave of guilt. And I believe that if we were all honest with each other here today, we would say that we have experienced that one time or another. And there are only two ways that you can get rid of this guilt. You can ask for forgiveness and change your behavior. Or you can change your belief system. There's only two ways. If a person can convince themselves that there is nothing wrong with what they are doing, their guilt is greatly diminished. Changing how they believe is often much easier than changing how they behave. You wouldn't think that, but it is the truth. And I think we can all say together that we've seen this. We've seen this before in our lives. Many people that used to believe in God decided at some point to trade in their faith for a more convenient lifestyle. What does that say about their faith? Well, in my opinion, it obviously says that their faith had shallow roots. It was based on convenience rather than conviction. Their faith was rooted in the present of what worked for them at that very time. It really, you know, it could almost be summarized by stating, by, by this little statement. What's happening now, what I'm feeling now, determines what I believe for now. The second factor that often undermines faith in a person's life is unexplainable tragedy. Painful or adverse circumstances that don't fit with the person's understanding of the character of God or the Christian faith. When people are confronted with tragedy, they ask, how could a good God allow this to happen? Why didn't he stop it? The inability to figure out why a good God would allow bad things to happen has caused many personal friends and Christians to abandon their walk with God. Like the people who made poor choices, their faith proved to be shallow and, and their, the roots of their faith were shallow. The, the basis of their faith, it really is the same, the same statement. What's happening now, what I'm feeling now, determines what I believe for now. As long as our faith is grounded in what we see and experiences, our faith will always be fragile. It'll never be more than circumstantial faith. Totally dependent upon our ability or inability to interpret the events and circumstances around us. And 
this is, you know, I, I don't even know how to say it. Um, you, you know, when we, this is, a, this is an essential foundation piece to our walk with God. And when you can grasp hold of what, what, is being, what the Word of God is trying to tell us about faith, I promise you, it'll, it, it'll, change, it'll change your walk with God. It'll change the way you, it'll change everything about you. And let me, I'm going to try to give some examples here. Let's say that Kim, I'm going to use the word Kim. I hope nobody's name is Kim here. Praise and, and, and she's praying for God to help her pass a test. But she fails. So Kim um, interprets that failure to mean that God doesn't answer prayers. Or maybe he is mad at her for some reason. Or maybe she didn't measure up for some reason. She concludes that God can't be trusted. Her faith is shattered by her interpretation of the circumstance. Of course, we are all prone to misinterpretation and to different events. Ask a four-year-old being carried to the, by his father to the doctor's office if daddy loves him. When the doctor pulls out a needle for a tetanus shot, the little boy might have his doubts. I can tell you my son has had his doubts. Taking him into a doctor's office. He's a strong little boy, and that's Blaze. He does not like needles. But years later, if you ask the same child about the doctor's visit, he'll have a completely different perspective. He will know that his father showed his love by caring enough to protect his son's health. Just as a child cannot correctly judge his parents' character based upon one scary trip to a doctor, so we dare not draw conclusions, conclusions about God's goodness based upon our immediate circumstances of life. God's faithfulness and loving character are never predicated upon the unfolding of circumstances. Circumstantial faith is fragile because its frame of reference really is it's just too small. We as humans have a hard time judging the significance of current events in the context of a lifetime, much less weighing those same events on the scale of eternity. A lot of times we have trouble seeing past the ever-changing landscape of our immediate surroundings. And if God doesn't answer our prayers by next week, we wonder if He even exists altogether. If we don't see God at work in our present situation, we lose our confidence in His love and care for us. Instead, we get stressed out over things like jobs, friends, families, relationships, church, and many other things that exist in our life. But then there's authentic faith. Authentic faith, uh, faith looks at the whole picture. We need to remind ourselves sometimes about the way Joseph spent 15 years as a slave in Egypt, being sold into slavery by his own brothers. His tragedy was a part of a beautiful tapestry that God was weaving behind the scenes to save an entire region from famine. 
There was Moses who spent 40 years in the wilderness before God sent him back to, the, to Egypt, freeing a nation from slavery and unfolding a wonderful purpose in his seemingly purposeless existence. The problem for most people is simply a faulty understanding of faith. As God's church, it is our job to help people understand and develop an authentic faith that is properly grounded. The foundation of faith, the foundation of a Christian faith, of course, is a person, not a circumstance. We must redirect our faith away from current events and fasten it upon one thing, and that's Jesus Christ the only one in whom we can securely place our trust in. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were being pressured in in their community and tough circumstances in general to abandon their faith. Nobody's really certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. Most people say that Paul was the one that wrote it, but he was trying to encourage them to stand up, to keep the faith. We can believe, he declared, because we know that Jesus walked on this earth, claimed to be God, gave evidence supporting his claim, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and went back to heaven in plain view of thousands, of hundreds of witnesses. He concluded by stating, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We must base our faith on the simple identity of Jesus Christ. If Christ really is who he says he is, then we don't need to worry when bad things happen to us. We have a high priest who understands. If Jesus really died for our sins then we have no reason to doubt his love. No reason at all to doubt his love. We have a friend who has laid down his life for me, for you. And if he really meant it when he promised to come back for us, then we don't have to be afraid of what happens next in life. We have, all, we, we have a heavenly father who has our best interest in mind this night. If our faith rests on anything other than Jesus Christ, who is he, who he is, and what he has done for us, we are building our lives upon a fragile foundation. Our faith must lie upon the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Eventually, the choices of life will sway us to adapt or compromise what we believe. Circumstances will cause us to doubt God. That's what a... That's what a a circumstantial faith will do. It's it's shallow-rooted. There's there's no roots. The first strong wind will topple that faith. But God never intended for our faith to rest upon what's going on around us. The foundation of our faith must be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If we can somehow, some way understand the significance of building the foundation of our faith on Jesus then we are securing ourselves to an immovable object. Our faith will not be swayed by the circumstances of life. 
You wouldn't know it from the way some people talk, but faith really and actually is a very simple concept. Then why are so many people confused? The answer to that question is also simple as well. People tend to be unwilling to accept faith for what it really is rather than what they want it to be. They want faith to be a power that moves God in a direction they have prescribed. They want it to be a code, a a secret code that unlocks the door to God's unlimited resources, resources that they can use at their discretion. Basically, they want faith to be the way for them to get what they want from God when they want it. This way of thinking is also ingrained in the minds of some people that when God says no to their request, they have a difficult time taking no for the answer. They assume that there is either something wrong with them or something wrong with him. You and I both know people this day that have been affected and have abandoned their faith altogether because God wouldn't cooperate with their request. They believed God was obligated to act on their faith. When he didn't, they walked away from the whole thing altogether. We need to understand that, the biblical, that biblical faith is not a force or a power. It is not something that we just tap into. It, it's, not a, it, it's, it's not a tool. Uh, it's not a tool to get something from God. Obi-Wan Kenobi is not the leader here, okay? It's not just a abracadabra. It's not something just you just reach in and you just grab for that moment because you're in desperate, dire strait and you need something right now. That's, that, that sort of thinking comes dangerously close to, a, to kind of a, a new age philosophy and has no basis in the Bible, nor is biblical faith merely confidence. When a basketball team burst out onto the locker room pumped, burst out of the locker room, pumped for a game. Those players believe, they really truly believe that they're going to win. If you were to ask the fans and the bleachers, if they have faith in their team, they would shout, yes, we have faith. But that's not biblical faith. That's confidence. Many people think that if if they muster up enough confidence, God will act on that need or that want. They don't realize that faith and confidence are not the same thing. Biblical faith is also not wishful thinking. When people ask for something, they want it, but they have no guarantee that they're going to get it. I got a lot of y'all right now on the edge. Like, Where is he going? He's giving us a lot of knots. According to the author of Hebrews, faith is being sure of what we hope for being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see you know i thought about it a lot and i and i guess i'm going to try to give an analogy here okay um in my simple way of thinking so forgive me okay if if this if this contradicts anything pastor hughes says Listen to Pastor Hughes, okay? Trust me. If I was to write, say I was to write Brother Hodges, and I invited him to come sing 
at one of the youth services. Would I have faith that he's coming? Would I announce it to the young people? Well, no. I may wish that he would come, but that's not faith that he would come. What would it take for me to have faith that Brother Buddy is going to come sing for the young people? I would need a letter, a phone call, an email confirming the fact that he had accepted my invitation. I'd need a promise from him that he will be there. The promise would allow me to move from wishful thinking into faith. Trust me, I put a lot of thought in that. (laughs) It gets deep, but it really is simple. The bridge from wishful thinking to faith is the revelation of God. The wonderful promises he has given to us in his word. That's what it comes down to. That's what faith is. The promise that Brother Buddy called me back and gave me that he's going to be there to sing. Now I can announce it. Now it's moved from wishful thinking and confidence into a step of faith. People don't merely need to wish that he would have their best interest in mind they can be absolutely confident that he does. Just read the book. Just read the book. Confidence of his promises. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is. He is and that he will do all he has promised to do. Our confidence can't be in ourselves or in friends, or in circumstances. Each of these will eventually let you down. I can promise you that. Our confidence must be in the absolute promise and the unchanging character and word of God. In Hebrews 11, the author gives us dozens of illustrations of people who showed authentic biblical faith. In every case, that faith was grounded in a promise or a revelation from God. Noah spent 140 years building an ark because God promised that it was going to rain. Abraham left his home and set out without a destination in mind because God promised to lead him to a new home. Gideon charged into an enemy camp totally outnumbered because God promised victory. Moses went back to Egypt and and confronted Pharaoh because God promised to to deliver Israel through him. Joshua marched around Jericho until the walls fell down because God promised success. If you'll stand with me. I told you it'd be short. But I promise you, if you'll chew on some of these words and think about them, it'll change your thinking. What will we be capable of doing when we begin to live by authentic faith? When we are completely confident that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he has promised to do, what will happen? What will happen when we start chewing on the word of God 
and we start looking at the true promises God has sent. What will happen when we quit waiting on a preacher to tell us about it? What will happen when we quit waiting on a pastor or a Sunday school teacher to talk to us about the promises God has for us and we open up the word and begin to read them ourselves? What kind of faith will take place? What kind of miracles will happen? You want me to tell you a few things you can have faith on tonight? Here's a few promises from the Word of God. I have come into the world, this world, as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. John 12, 46. Give and it shall be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. <laughs> Luke 6 and 38. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 22, verse 9. God is our refuge and strength, and every present help in time of trouble. Psalms 46 and 1. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40 and verse 29. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Isaiah 43 and 1. I tell you the truth. He who believes in me has everlasting life. John 6 verse 47. And this is what he promises us eternal life. John 2 and verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 11 verse 25. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never, they shall never, they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 27, and 28. Ye are my sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 and 26. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor covenant of peace be removed. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and I will watch over you. Psalms 32 and verse 8. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John 15 verse 11. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. John 16 Verse 22, for though me, for through me, your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. Proverbs 9, 11, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Jeremiah 31 and 3, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Proverbs 8 and 17. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
1 Corinthians 2 and 9. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalms 103 and 13. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. John 14 and 27. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what you base your faith on. That's faith. Amen. Faith isn't some spooky little magic trick you got to perform to get God to do His stuff for you. Faith is simply saying, I stand on the Word of God, and no matter what comes my way, I'm going to turn my face to God. I'm going to turn my face to the book. There's an answer for everything in there. There's an answer for it. You want to change your circumstance? You want to change your life? Eat the book. That's what it comes down to. You don't have to wait on the ministry. You don't have to wait on some friend. You don't have to come to the altar and bow your head hoping that somebody will come by and pray for you you and your need. I think sometimes we just like to sulk. That's okay. I do it a lot. If you ask my wife, man, if I get sick, it's over. I, I, I want my little bell. Sometimes we just want to have our pity party, but the truth is when you get tired of your pity party and things don't go the way you expect them to, the answer, the answer is in the book. It's in the book. We live in a lazy society. Guilty as charged. And we want things fed to us. But if you want real faith, get your nose in the book. The promises have already been written. There's promises in there for you right now. If you'll just learn to tap into them and say, Lord, I know you and I know of you. And I know that you gave me a word tonight. If you'll join hands where it's appropriate, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Jesus for your word tonight let your anointed word God rest deep in the hearts of those that need you Lord Lord let it saturate through our minds and our hearts and our souls this week God that we could stand upon your word Lord that we would believe in your word God in the name of Jesus Simply by your name, God. In the name of Jesus, let it be, God. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. I thank you, Jesus, this day. Hallelujah.